United Podcast with Andy Case and special guest. Hello and welcome to the Bonmo Podcast. This week, Paul Litchfield is answering. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this week, lovely person, no, stop it. This week, Paul Litchfield is answering the questions while I attempt to comment in a way that makes my life sound just as interesting. And with that, over to Paul. Hello. <laughs> that, Hello, That Paul. took you five attempts. Don't say that. I'm, I'm going sorry. To edit I'm, no, no. We, I'm going to peel back the veneer, ladies and gentlemen. That took Andy five times to do. Yeah, it's it's such a difficult name, Paul. I struggle. Paul is one so. of the most notoriously difficult names, isn't it? <laughs> Paul. I mean, oh. Um, right now, I've been I've been asked by the lovely Andy to to explain myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, damn right. Uh, with a series of probing questions, um, I'm going to launch into the first one, if that's all right. Which is, please that's introduce really. yourself. Hello, I'm Paul. That's that bit done. Right. What's my favourite song, stroke book, stroke film, stroke favourite joke, stroke observation? Holy moly, that's 19 questions. Um, I know, I cleverly put it into one. Yeah. No, I think it's a good it's a good opener. My favourite song, I think that's impossible to pin down, personally, because I, I think songs change, don't they, according to uh, where you are in life. I can, I can probably say that the, um, the artists that I probably listen to the most, so that's probably an indicator of favourites, yeah. uh, would that's probably weird. be Sparks, because I've seen them live as well, stupid wow. amounts yeah. of times. Um, unfortunately, even though he's an absolute fucking lunatic, I still have an extremely soft <laughs> spot for the Mosman Morrissey. Not his views, not his views. Just quickly, not his views, but um, I've seen him live like stupid amounts of times. Um, the thing I listen to more at the moment, weirdly, are like lots of sort of like mad eight hour lumps of like ambient nonsense. Like, um, like there's this thing on YouTube, and they've got this series of um, like eight hour, (laughs) eight hour, um. Clumps of music that are called, one's called brown noise, which sounds disgusting. Um, one's called green noise and one's called blue noise. And they're just sort of like muffled. I think they're like the noise cancelling headphones that autistic children sometimes have to wear when they're out. <laughs> and you just listen to so that. I really like hours. those. Brilliant. Kind of. Yeah, sometimes. Or like um, if it's really hot on YouTube, I'll put on eight hours of glacial landscape to try and fool myself into cooling <laughs> down. And sometimes I'll do rainforest sounds or ocean sounds. There's a really nice summer storm that goes on for 12 hours. And that's really nice. It's just like a background thing. But I find it really um, weirdly centering in a sort of mad way. Um, I understand that. I love music, but I can't play music when I'm trying to work because I'd be either singing or dancing or listening to the music. So I find that sort of weird sort of like background noise sort of really helpful in life. So that's that. That's yeah. song. <laughs> Books. Song is a twelve-hour yeah. rain track. Yeah, t- t- twelve hours of storms. Um, that's my favourite song. Um, book. That's all, that again is really impossible. I can go through the authors. No, actually, um, I remember. Obviously, this is so cliched, but probably at the age of twelve, reading uh, J.D. Sanders, Catcher in the Rye, and thinking that was all okay. about me. <laughs> You know, um, that was definitely a sort of big hitter when I was young. Um, I suppose the... Just phone the the FBI now. Sure. No, please do. Please do. Um, The the, the author that really sort of like, I think, first of all, changed my sort of 
world when it came to literature is a guy called Richard Brautigan, which not a lot of people have, uh, know him. Um, nice. He came about right at the tail end of when the Beat Generation, people like Kerouac and Bukowski uh, and Ginsberg were huge, and William S. Burroughs. Yeah. And he came sort of right towards the tail end of that. And he wrote a series of books where the book might have 400 chapters, but each chapter's a paragraph. And I found his style just really refreshing because I'd never come across that before, I suppose. Um, yeah. And so it, it, he, wrote, uh, he wrote in a diary when he was about 20 that he was going to write 22 novels, write 180 poems, and then kill himself. And when he was 49, he did exactly that. He, he actually wow. killed himself. <laughs> I suppose he was probably going, well, I said I was going to well, do yeah, it. Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. He could have rolled back on it, to be fair. He didn't have no, to. No, he didn't have to, no, but true, he was a true gentleman. And um, he, he sort of wrote his own rider. It's a weird thing. But he wrote a series of books, uh, one's called In Watermelon Sugar, which is all about a group of people that live inside a giant maze that is made of watermelon. Okay. So he was really on that sort of end of sort of pop culture and all that. But um, yeah, and another yeah. one called Willard and his Bowling Trophies, uh, The Big Sir. Um, he wrote loads. Um, I, and I've got two books that have come with me like all the way through my life since about the ages of 18. And they're both Richard yeah. Broughton books. It doesn't matter where I've lived, where I've gone. <laughs> I've shed books. I've lost books. I've given books away. I've just left books sometimes. But I've always kept those two books by Richard Broughton. So obviously it has some sort of meaning that... I probably don't want to dwell too much into, but there you go. No, but but author rather than book, maybe. But but let's let's just say that. Let's yeah. just say yeah. that. No, that sounds fine. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look into that actually because that does sound sort of. Yeah, I wonder what he might sound like now to you know us old, tired, angry, sarcastic men. <laughs> I think we might. I think you. we might look. No, I was only talking about you. I wasn't talking about me. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a young, vibrant, verdant 50-year-old. <laughs> um, hang on. So what a film, again, impossible. Impossible. The film I've watched the most ever is Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. <laughs> so, you know, I can't lie about it. I can't pretend that it's going to be, you know, like, oh, no, it's the third man all the time. Um, no, it's not. It's Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan. Um, my favourite comedy and my favourite drama are both both star the same actor, and I never thought that it was it, it would ever be Ryan O'Neill, which is really weird. No. So my favourite one of my favourite comedy films ever is What's Up Doc, and it's Ryan yeah. O'Neill and Barbara Streisand. It's just the ultimate caper film, yeah. and I adore yes. it so much. And my favourite ever sort of like drama or whatever is Barry Lyndon by Kubrick, which also stars. <laughs> Ryan O'Neill. O'Neill. And then the rest of his career, I couldn't give a tin shit about. <laughs> but those two, ah, oh, wow. And now here's the interesting thing. Favourite jokes or observations? Now, I'm sure pretty much everyone has said, I don't know any jokes. Because mm. all my comedian friends, if I say, can you tell me a joke? They'd be like, what? What do you mean a joke? Yeah. I don't know jokes. <laughs> it's such a weird thing, yeah. isn't it? Dare you, sir? It's yeah. such a weird thing that we sort of... Uh, I mean, apart from people like Gary Delaney, um, Tim Vine, who mm. just do that sort of... They just, you know, pump-action gags. I suppose Jimmy Carr yeah. used to be a yeah. bit like that. Just endless one-liners. Um, but uh, like a sort of... Like a traditional joke joke? I don't know. I remember as a kid, my father was a big lover of gags and jokes. And the th mm. he used to do this joke, which wasn't... It was an anti-joke. 
And I used to absolutely <laughs> love it. And the, the whole thing was, is he'd start off the joke, and I, can, I just remember this, him doing it so many times. He would go, there is a king, and he wants to marry off his daughter, the princess, who's the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. But to do this... The, the, the prince or the, or, the, or the would-be suitor has to do a series of tasks. And the king then reels off the tasks. And when my dad did it, it had to be at least 10 different things. <laughs> so he needs to do this, he needs to do this, and he needs to do this. And then you go through all that. That must take at least 10 minutes in the, sto- in wow. the joke telling. And oh, then no. when the prince comes back, the king says, did you do that? And the prince says, yes, I did. And Tez says, tell me how. So now the prince has to recall the 10 things he did. So now we're up to 20 minutes. <laughs> and then it just ends with, at the end of all that, the prince goes, can I marry your daughter? And the king goes, no. And that's it. <laughs> and it just, I just love the audacity of it. I love the anticlimax of it. It used to make me howl every time he did it. And of course, some people would laugh their heads off. Some people would just get furious that he'd wasted yeah. that much of their time. <laughs> I, I would have laughed a lot about that. I, uh, there's, there's a joke that I laughed at that I remember. Oh, go on. got very very upset about it was you just triggered a memory because the very very long one there was one uh it was it was some i can't remember the full plot now but it was basically there was a white gorilla living on the isle of Wight. right someone went out to see the white gorilla and there'd been a whole thing about never you know never approach the cage or touch the white gorilla right and then um the person eventually goes over there and and, uh, makes contact with the white gorilla. And then basically there's this whole story arc of them being pursued by the gorilla and all the things that happen and just mad things happening. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And you think, what possibly is the payoff of this? And it just reaches a point where the gorilla finally corners the poor guy and you think, well, I see he's over. The gorilla just taps him on the shoulder and says, you're it. Uh, Of course, there you go. Lovely. But it's yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. that on for like half an hour, people going, seriously, that's the payoff for this. And it's like... But that, it, that in itself is the joke. That's kind yeah. of what I love about it. The joke is hidden in the joke and it's the most anticlimactic. Um, yeah. There's something oh, I love, about I love your dad's. That. I love your dad's. I love, I love that kind of stuff where people go, right, he's built this up so much. This is going to be yeah. the epic. You know, I think I think that's what it is. I don't remember certain specific. I just my mum used to. There was a joke in our house where my mum would always attempt to tell the same joke, and she could never get through it without laughing. And normally, God rest her soul, she would fart. So when my mum laughed too much, she farted, which wow. then made us laugh, which then made her laugh, and then it was just this rolling fart <laughs> essentially. And the joke is about the wide mouth frog. Have you heard the wide mouth frog I joke? Have, uh, yeah. Right. Was, so she used to attempt the wide mouth frog joke, where you yeah. put your fingers in your mouth and go, "Hello, I'm a wide mouth frog," yeah. and gradually, for those who don't know it, goes up to various animals in the jungle and says, "Ah, hello, I'm a... It only works if you put your fingers in your mouth. So you open your mouth up and go, "Hello, I'm a wide mouth frog, and I eat flies. What do you eat?" And the lion says he eats meat, and the monkey says he eats bananas, and you just go through about seven or eight, and then finally he meets a crocodile. And the crocodile goes, hello, I'm a wide mouth frog, I eat flies, what do you eat? And he says, I eat wide mouth frogs. And then you've got to literally just put your lips together like a dog's bummo and go, you you don't see very many of them around here, do you? And my mum would attempt this, couldn't do it because of laughing, then fart, and then it it just became like, I think it was almost like an annual Christmas tradition like on Boxing Day. Mum, do the joke. Do the wide mouth. Do the wide mouth frog if you can attempt it. Um, so I think maybe it's I more the that. memory of the joke and the context of where it was, I suppose, that excites me. I remember the one, uh, an actual joke joke, 
because I was thinking about this and jokes, because obviously it's very important uh, with what I do for a living. Um, <laughs> the joke that I really remember just genuinely howling at, because it's such a gently funny joke. There was a there was a show on BBC Two about five years ago called Old Jews Telling Jokes. And I th- yeah. it was um, and it was just a series of very old Jewish people. It was all shot in New York, and they're all standing up, and they're all just telling a gag. And yeah. some of them are great, some of them whatever. But the one that I always remember, because it's such a lovely joke, is there's a man in the desert, uh, the sun beating down on him. He hasn't drank water in three days. His clothes are ragged. And on the horizon, he sees what he thinks could be a building. He crawls up to it, sort of gently, feebly taps on the door and, and just says, water, water, water. The door opens and a man goes, how can I help you? And he just goes, I need water. And the guy goes, I'm sorry, this is a Thai shop. We only sell ties. And the man's like, but that, that that's just not... And then goes, goes, good day, and closes the door. So the man now continues dragging himself for another week. He's almost at death's door, and he finally wow. finally sees another shop. Um, and he goes up to the shop, and, um, and it's not a shop now. It's actually, it looks like it could be a cafe or a restaurant. And oh. he just goes, water, 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 do you have water? And the waiter goes, of course we have water. And he goes, will you let me in? And he goes, not without a tie. <laughs> and that is such a... Because the more you overthink it, the funnier it is that there's yeah. just a Thai shop in the middle of the desert. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's, that's a true. lovely joke, isn't it? That is a lovely joke. And your dad's joke is, I, I'm going to pinch that at some point to really annoy people. Um, and I also have to mention another joke that I heard only about a week ago that made me laugh. And um, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but um, I'm, I'm from the darkest southwest of the UK where the king, of course, of comedy, um, until he died, was, of course, Jethro. Mm-hmm. Only made famous because of Des O'Connor, for those who don't know, because Jeth- <laughs> Jethro's gags are just all the same working, working music hall gags, all begged, borrowed, and stolen. Mm-hmm. They're all disgustingly blue. They're all extremely racist, and it's all filth. But Des O'Connor took a shining to him and used to get him on his show, Des O'Connor, tonight and tell him to clean up his act. Yeah. Because, um, obviously, Jethro in my house was, was a god, according to my father. I have. I went to his club <laughs> and saw him perform. It's all just foul. It's all yeah. just misogynist. Anyway, there's a joke that is. I think it's one of his cleanest jokes. Again, it's the. It's the. I. Th- I just think it's a brilliant joke. The joke is Jethro comes home. He's sat watching television, and his wife suddenly runs in and smacks him on the head with a saucepan. Obviously, you've got to tell it like Jeffrey, which is, I sat down watching television. Television sat down, I was. Because that's all he would do. He was like weirdly like a Yoda. He would just yeah. sort of like repeat. Anyway, so he sat there watching TV. His wife comes in, hits him on the head with a frying pan. He says, what the hell did you do that for? And she says, I was washing your clothes, your jeans from yesterday, and there's this number in your pocket. You're seeing someone, aren't you? And Jethro goes, don't be so ridiculous. That is not someone that those numbers written on that thing are the odds for a horse that i'm going to bet on tomorrow so i can buy you a lovely anniversary present and she's uh, oh okay i'm sorry i ever doubted you <laughs> etc <laughs> three days later jethro's back home watching tv she runs in again and smacks him on the head <laughs> with a frying pan and he goes what the hell was that for and she says your horse is on the phone <laughs> and i just love that as a okay, joke that- I'll give, I'll give, yeah, okay, that is a good one. Your horse yeah. is on the phone. It's a lovely joke. Yeah, not there a Jethro fan, but that, that's, uh, no, I'm, I mean, I'm not, but you know, I am, it's, um, it's like it's in my sort of DNA contract that I have to mention him because, um, <laughs> because of, yes, because he, he is, yeah. he is king of Devon and Cornwall. 
Um, yes. Well, he's king of Cornwall. He's more sort of like an earl of Devon, I would say. <laughs> um, but the only time a joke... I remember, again, I'm, and now I'm going to stop because obviously this is just question one. Sorry, Andy. You know what I'm like. I can cab no, no, on no, forever. You, you do as But you my favourite ever telling of a joke is the circumstance of how it was told and the consequence of it, which was me <laughs> telling a joke to my best friend, Richard Sutton. I hope you're listening, Dickie. Um, where I, this is when we're in sixth form, and in our sixth form, we didn't ever have to go to the mass school assembly. We would unfortunately have like a private assembly by the headmaster who would come to the sixth form block, and we'd have to have this painful 10 minute nonsense where we'd read the Lord's Prayer and all this. And he was a dour, angry, horrible, horrible, horrible man. He once ripped down a poster of two penguins hugging on our sixth form wall because wow. he thought it looked like a pair of tits. And we, were, and we were all, we didn't see that. You did. You saw that. We didn't. It's no idea. No, I, what, because the heads are black and the bodies are white? No, I think it was because they were two little fat like emperor penguins and they were squeezed together, like, hugging. And I think oh. he thought it just looked like a pair of women's boobs, like a sort of bosom. But literally, we were like, I'm, what? Anyway, so that's the kind of man he was. Yeah, yeah. Just this weird, dour, angry... Anyway... Just before the assembly was about to start, I was talking to my best mate, Richard. We'd just come back from the summer holidays, and I'd been to Spain. And I'd been telling him loads of stories about my Spanish trip. And then what I did is I decided that I would then try out a joke on him that my dad had told me. But what I did is I weaved it into me just talking about my holiday. So my friend genuinely thought I was telling him what happened on my holiday. And it was only when I did the punchline and the cog turned and he suddenly realised what I'd done. That not only did it make the joke funnier, but it made the whole way that I tricked him funnier. And he then got into uncontrollable fits of laughter, couldn't stop. <laughs> the headmaster was trying to start the assembly and just went ape shit and like threw him out and gave him detention because well, my friend couldn't well, stop laughing. Um, so it's just the memory of that is great because then the joke takes on such another sort of aspect. Um, and the joke was that I told Richard that I went to this uh, Spanish place for... Um, lunch and I had this most amazing meal and it, and it was essentially what looked like two big meatballs <laughs> and basically I asked the waiter what it was and he said well they're bulls testicles because um after the big bullfighting game if the when the bull dies you know we collect their testicles it's a great delicacy um and I hope you're all okay with that and I was like well now I know it's a bit but bloody hell it was one of the best things I ever ate and then I sort of carried on talking about other aspects of the holiday. And then I said to Richard, oh, sorry. And I went back to the place the day, the day you know, before we were coming home. And I ate there again and ordered the same thing. But I just had these two tiny little um, lumps of meat. And I just said, what, you know, what's, what the hell's going on here? And the waiter said, well, sometimes the matador doesn't win. And then just went to say <laughs> something else. And then, of course, he just realised that, you know, it's not the best joke in the world. But it just, it's just the way I got him was beautiful. I, I like no, I I like it. Sometimes a matador doesn't win. Just leave that hanging. I like that. It's just the idea that I'm eating a man's balls. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, there you go. That's question one done, and that only took uh, um, one season. I believe we're coming into winter now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Number <It's> two. <laughs> Which comedian or sketch first made you laugh? Gosh, I I think it. If I'm talking being a kiddie, it would have been stuff that was going on in like. Tis was or number 73 oh, or Lord. like the flashing blade which was a brilliant do you remember the flashing blade very vaguely yeah yeah, yeah. i think it was a pre-existing show that they dubbed over um yes. which i just used to think was the funniest thing in the world but if i'm talking early sort of early-ish 
things that just first really made me laugh and howl. I remember in the sixth one the first time that Derek and Clive was ever um, oh. heard. And, of course, I'd never heard anything like that, um, especially the string of expletives. Yeah, I don't think anyone had ever heard anything like that, had they, really? So it got passed around in sort of, like, secret. Yeah. You know, that really affected me. Um, but I think the thing that I remember as a kid, apart from maybe, like, Blackadder, the thing that I, that I worshipped, like, and, could, and the idea if I missed it, it would be the end of the world, was <laughs> probably a bit of Fry and Laurie. Yes. I was just obsessed with them because yeah. I just loved that way they played with language. And yeah. um, and also it was slightly another world to me because they were obviously two very, very posh boys. And I'm, yes. from, I'm from Scum in Devon, you know, in a council house. And <laughs> it's I, a small village. Well, Plymouth, not really, but it's the largest city. But it's just Scum. It's just Scum. Um, and, you know, proper working class upbringing. And I just found... Frying Laurie to be completely another worldly. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that really, yeah. you know. I, um, I remember that. I remember that show and the piano at the end. And, and like you say, the play on words and, and a lot of clever stuff that you may not necessarily get all of it. But No, but also what I love was they would do all that clever stuff, but they would also, they just loved a punch gag or like, a, you yeah. know, someone being hit. Yes. There's that lovely one with Hugh Laurie going into the police station trying to report a crime and the policeman, uh, Stephen Fry, as the policeman says, what's your name? And he says, my name is Derek and drops a lighter on the table. And the guy goes, what? And he goes, what? He goes, your name is Derek? And he goes, yes, my name is Derek. He said, well, yeah. how is that spelt? He's like, it's <laughs> as it sounds. And then Stephen Fry goes, well, from here it almost looks like Derek and then punches him. <laughs> and, also, and from here it almost looks like Derek and then hits him with a cricket bat so I kind of love that they would also go into that yeah. thing and I suppose yeah. the next sort of the natural bridge from Fry and Laurie would have been Vic and Bob especially yeah. you know Big Night Out again the love of wordplay and nonsense but also hitting each other with frying pans yes. um, that sort of I love that the clown the vaudeville clown then mixed with really clever mad wordplay and visual imagery I personally adore it so much Yes. Um, it's why in later on in life, I, it, it was such a shame that like the Peter Serafinowicz show only had one series, or it's Kevin, the Kevin Eldon show, which were just yeah. joyous pieces of work, just celebrating language and madness. It's so clever, so funny. Yes, but one series gone. Yeah, yeah. I there's there it just cropped up in another, in another conversation, but fundamentally the same same thought process that there were shows or there are. Certainly, growing up, there were shows that pushed the the envelope. Didn't just sort of churn out what you expected from a comedy show, and just did mad stuff. And, yeah, and there is still some of that now. There is still things like Toast and other things, but but there was proper. Um, the one that's probably sticks and probably will always stick with me was Jam. Yes, um, of course. Yeah, because just absolute insanity. But well, just it's obvious. just like listening to like a fever dream. It's like, yeah. it's slightly yeah. upsetting. Um, yeah. The closest I've ever got to that uh, recently, and that's not even that recent, is Tim and Eric awesome show Great Job. I don't know if you've ever seen any of them. No, Tim, 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 Tim Heidecker and Eric Werenheim. Um, I was once asked um, on, by Chortle, the comedy website, to sort of list my sort of, and I think I was just mainlining them at the time. And, <laughs> and I talked about how much I just adore them. And their shows, Tim and Eric Awesome Show Great Job, are only eight to ten minutes long. But that's all you right. need because you feel like you're watching a nightmare. 
<laughs> but also it's so funny and so odd and so strange. I mean, it is genuinely, if you've not checked it out, it's really hard to get any of their stuff over here. You can get season one or two, but you can't get much else. Right. Um, but there's lots of it on YouTube. I urge you to watch some Tim and, Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Great job. I mean, some of it I watch through like clutched fingers because it's so frightening. And it's by the same production people who ended up doing Too Many Cooks, which I don't know if you saw oh, okay. that. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that, which is something that just sticks in your craw forever. Um, mm. I kind of love that otherworldly mad stuff. Far much more than, I have to say, I'm one of those comedians who don't particularly like, I mean, I do to a certain extent, but I'm not all that stuff grounded in, grounded in realism stuff. It, no. it, I like it if it's funny, but it doesn't rock my world. No, I, I agree with you. If, um, some, of the, yeah, some of the work like Matt Barry's done, um, other, other things of that nature, his earlier works as well, not just more recent. But, mm. and, and, and anything that's just a bit challenging, a bit twisted, a bit dark, a bit whatever, that just pushes you. Um, it does me, yeah. I mean, yeah, I appreciate yeah. a well-tight-written, you know, things like oh, Fri yeah. Friday Night Dinner, you go, gosh, it's just so well-written. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's just never going to, it's always going to be pipped at the post by look around you, or it's always going to be pipped at the post by, you know. Um, there was a yeah. short-lived show called This Is Ginzy, which I also used to love, um, yeah. just because the madness of it all. But anyway, we, we could talk about that for... You could, I mean, look, look around you. Is one, I mean, there are many oh. shows that deserve more than one uh, series, but that particularly, you do think, you thought that, I always assumed that would be back. Um, yeah, well, it, they got two. They got two. Uh, sorry, two, yes, yeah, sorry, two. Um, yeah. So, I just assumed that would trundle on, and then it didn't. And I love I love a series that set that that will set up a gag and then pay it off much further down the line. Um, mm. So I think, obviously... Um, look around you did it the best where if they if the voiceover guy had to thank anyone for helping them or yeah. f or thank what was happening in the experiments the first time you happen there's an experiment with ants and at the yeah. end it just goes thank thanks ants fants for, <laughs> and then later on in another one thank you Tchaikovsky Tchaikovsky it yeah. just again would make me laugh because of the madness of it all but it all leads up to right at the end of the last episode where there's a fire and it's put out by two of the stagehands in the studio called Hanks so they both can go thanks Hanks thanks and I just <laughs> love that yeah you yeah, had I... to know it and listen to it and, and wait for it and it was yeah. beautiful and it rewards you and I like a reward yes uh, yes absolutely I I just, I was just thinking, I don't necessarily, I didn't necessarily like the whole thing, but what was it called? The Pen, Penvera, oh, the... Oh, oh, I know the one you mean, yeah. Penvera, no, not that. The Pentaverit, anyway, the Pentaverit. That's it, with Jeremy Irons, who, yeah. uh, on the first episode, very sensible, reading the notes, and by later episodes, he's basically just swearing and just Yeah, saying, exactly, who gives a shit, no one's listening to me yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly, I love all that. <laughs> and I just thought that's just such a clever use yeah. of boosting the voiceover, that they're not... Just saying, and here now is so and so. Every single episode is going. Why don't we just start with that? I was just genuinely right. pleased to see that Mike Myers just immediately was still obsessed with bum fart jokes. It's amazing. I mean, yes. just yeah. after like after he what seemed like an absence of years, yeah. I think he pops up as a colonel, doesn't he, in, in a Tarantino film, Operation yeah. Kino or something. And mm. you're like, what has he been doing for whatever? Just having a lovely life, I'd imagine. And then he makes oh, the Pentaveret, which is again a reference to. His Scot when he plays his own Scottish f father in yeah. Sorry I Married an Axe Murderer. They, yeah. He mentions, as a member of the Pentaveret, 
And then <laughs> 20 years later, he makes the pentaveret. And all it is is bum, bum gags, fart gags, boob gags. It's just yeah. so brilliant. Like, he hasn't grown up at all. I admire that. No. <laughs> and I, I'd love, I would, just, I would just love to be able to walk into a room and say, it's basically that, can I have a series? They go, yeah. Oh, off you go. Absolutely, I'd yeah. I'd love to have that kind of pull. I know, obviously, he's worked hard and he's built up a reputation. Yeah. I love the idea of, after, like you say, 20 odd years, whatever it was, just walking in and going, I want to do more of the same stuff. Uh, yeah. I, give me a load of money in the studio. Go, yeah, here you go. Here's the keys. Well, because someone like him, you go, you've earned your stripes. Of course yeah, you can do right. what you... And I'm so heartened to know that that can still happen because, you know, sometimes That's... you could be the funniest whatever and it's like, can I get a series? No, no, you can. Oh, yeah. okay. You know, it's such yeah. a shame. The other person I have to mention that was probably a massive influence on me, especially when I was young, was definitely Victoria Wood as seen oh. on TV. Yes. Much more so than any of her live stuff or anything else. It was just Victoria Wood as seen on TV. I wore my video cassettes like clean, just watching it, just yeah. obsessed with it because it was just, again, all that wordplay, all that. Only she can sort of pick the right word to make it funny. Like yes. when yes. she says leotard, for some reason it's funny, and I don't know what it is. It's no. the way she leads up to it. it. And, of course, all that work with Celia Imry and Duncan Preston and obviously, um, I'm now going to forget her name, Julie Waters. Julie they're Waters. just all on the top, top of their game. Yes. I just adore that. The thing that I used to really love, even more so now, is she would do these weird little sort of mini documentaries in the middle of these episodes yes. that were sometimes some of the most bleakest. Yes. Like the, the girls swimming the channel. You know, Victoria Wood is a girl swimming the channel. Nobody's, nobody, her mum and dad don't give a shit. No one's <laughs> yeah. there with her. And yeah, yeah. she might be dead and lost at sea. And her mum and dad, they're just like, well, she might turn up. It's just yeah. so yeah, like, what? It's so. <gasps> anyway, there you go. She did that film, didn't she? Where, again, it was very bleak, wasn't it? She was very, um, very dark, actually. You know, everyone sort of rightly heralds her as a superb comedian. She was very dark in a lot of the stuff she did. Yeah, 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 towards the later. But I remember, ugh, again, it's, it's the only time I'm, I'm ever going to do like a clang, but I did meet her once, uh, oh. quite by accident. Uh, I was just, uh, it was at Edinburgh at Big Do, and I just probably gone outside for a cigarette, and they just wanted to just sit down just a little bit quiet for five minutes. And there, on the other side of this long sofa in the reception, was Victoria Wood. And I just went, look, I'm really sorry, but you know I'm going to have to slightly go, you're amazing. And she just went, thank you, you know, just being yeah. very pleasant. And I just went, why are you here? And she's like, trying to get a TV show made, which apparently I can't do anymore. And I just remember thinking, holy shit. So I remember at the time, Dinner Ladies had been cancelled, and she was like, but it's, it, you know, they put so much work into that. Yeah. She loved yeah. it, but it just was, for some reason, it was never at the time appreciated. Um, no, it's an odd, yeah, I... Again, apart from obviously her sad passing, I think yeah. in work forever, you know. Um, you would just assume, wouldn't you? But I remember yeah. her just going, it's really tough trying to get anything made. And I just remember thinking, well, if it's tough for you, yeah. and, and I'm in a, I'm in a 50 seater in the, in, in, you know, in the Pleasant's curb or whatever, or the Pleasant's drain, it's just <laughs> blimey. I mean, wow. Don't tell me that. I don't need to hear that. Yeah, but there you go. I suppose that's the truth of it all. I suppose weirdly that takes us on to a question much later. Um, but um, anyway, just gosh. Because I'm conscious we, we haven't moved our question too, but very quickly it does from uh, a conversation I had with uh, in another recording and I hadn't really, I suppose subconsciously I didn't recognise it, but consciously I hadn't really noticed that there are people 
at the absolute top of their game that are doing a load of stuff and then suddenly they're not there anymore and you don't necessarily notice they're not there anymore. Yeah. Things have moved on or the appetites have changed or whatever it is and suddenly this person who's been doing loads of stuff, you know, being on Teddy or doing, I don't know, streaming stuff or, or whatever it is or big comedy things and then suddenly they're not there anymore and you don't necessarily notice they've gone. Um but you just think, wow! So even people who you just assume are going to work until they go to the point where I are you? Going. Are you talking about Bernie Clifton here? <laughs> you are, aren't you? <laughs> Damn it! How did you guess? You are. I think things oh, went south for Bernie. Things went south for Bernie when he ditched the ostrich and he tried an ant, and it just <laughs> didn't work. It just didn't work. The scale was wrong. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Never mind. Yeah, you, you, you got me. Yeah. All right. I'm going to be vague, but... Well, on that strange note, let's move on to number three. What is the most outrageous request you've ever received, uh, either to do a gig, script, sketch, etc., i.e. no money or for just for exposure, etc., and how did you handle it? Right, this is easy. I can't mention who it is, but I... <laughs> but Lawyers! <laughs> but obviously, um, when I was much busier doing live stuff when I was in the sketch show with one of your previous guests, Mr. Jeremy Lim and Dan Mersh, we were called the trap. We, we were going for 15, 20 years on the circuit all the time, did lots of Edinburgh's. One of the yeah. things we used to get asked to do a lot was charity gigs, which of course we were yeah. mostly happy to do. Uh, yeah. More than happy to do it. Often there was a free bar to say thank you. And you had a good night, and especially if you knew that one of your friends, like Michael Legg was going to do something or Robin Ince was going to do something or someone you knew. Brilliant. You'll get to hang out, have a laugh, and you just mess around. And it's for charity, so, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Ooh, no, it does. Um, but I remember once we got invited to this thing, and it turns out, and again, I, can't, I've got, I, can't, I don't want to mention anyone, but it turns no. out that the, it wasn't a charity, really. What it was is they had invited us to perform for free to earn money so that they could take their show to Edinburgh. <laughs> and That's I just... Could not, we could not believe the rug-pulling hoodwink. Not only that, they actually asked us to donate. <laughs> no, well, that... That's and we just were like, what the actual... No, you can't do that. I, I mean, good God, I've, I've heard some stories about, you know, sort of do it for exposure, but do it for fund art and fringe. Jeez. We're doing a charity gig. Oh, by the way, we're the charity, so we could do a show up in Edinburgh. We're like, well, we're doing a show up in Edinburgh. We don't. We we're trying to find money ourselves. <laughs> well, so, that, that's bold. That's I, I, so bold. Yeah, you've almost got to sort of like tip your hat to it, just like sheer brass balls of it. Just the audacity, yeah. Good God, and the fact, actually, presumably, the fact that had they thought about once they've worked out what's going on, oh, I'm sure they'll be fine with it. Yeah. Who no. Knows? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? And then, of course, the most outrageous requests. I mean, all those sort of things. It's just normally when you're on the live circuit, there's just quite often it'll be things like, can you be in this thing? And you go, well, what is it? And they go, it's that. And you go, well, what? And they go, well, you know, you know, no time, you're on. And, you, and you're just sort of like going, what? Hmm? So what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but most of that is seat of pants fun, and that's done with friends, and that's all sort of like normally fine. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I think that, that, I think that cool. is the ultimate one. Um, yeah, I think I think you won't be able to top that. That's no, I really don't think I can. Point. Yeah. All right, so, let's move on to number four then. Um, if only one comedy festival was allowed to survive, which one would you fight for and why? Um, 
Weirdly, I would now champion what you're doing at the moment, which is podcasting, but we'll get onto that in a bit. Um, I, w- I would like to champion actually something that I've done a few times set up by some friends of mine as well. So I'm not just doing this because they're lovely friends, but also I think it's great. And that is when Edinburgh runs, for those who can't <laughs> afford it, because that's what it's like now, I'm afraid, it yeah. is literally yeah. like you need to you know have a kidney removed and sell it yeah. on the dark web if you want to do exactly. a show. Uh, running for the whole month up in uh, whilst Edinburgh goes on is the Camden Fringe, oh, which was it's now in its thirteenth year, I think. I might I might be twelfth or fourteenth anyway. Um, it's brilliant because it allows performers to still do a show for not point five percent of the price of Edinburgh, wow. and it's for all those people who can't get to Edinburgh or aren't there for the full thing. And yes, it's going to be wheat and chaff, but so's Edinburgh. Um, but it gives lots of artists and performers, I think also a lot of people starting off who aren't ready for Edinburgh or just can't afford it, to be yeah. able to put on a show. And they have about 30 venues and it's now really like a proper running thing. And I think it's brilliant because it just allows um, comedy and, of course, drama and theatre and everything else. But it allows stuff to flourish without being penny, uh, you know, not being a penniless <laughs> vagrant at the end of it. you know so long may that last and i think it's great as well for those who can't get to edinburgh there's stuff going on um and i think it's a really good thing excellent yeah it's great it's really established it's really good fun um and they're you know they got at least 200 250 300 shows on it's it's become a big thing and and even dan jeremy myself have done it twice where we just went why go to edinburgh Mm. why go yeah. there for a month and spend five grand each when we can do five days in a theatre that is five stops for me on the underground? Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, I, and at the end, make money. And surprisingly that, yeah, I was I was talking to someone pre-record about, because they'd been up to Edinburgh and they were going through sort of the, the cost, like you say, to the kidney on the dark web. The, the costs are just... It's insanity. Staggering. The last time we went, I think, was 2015. And yeah. that... I think cost about twelve thousand pounds. Yeah, it's just insane. It's just, you know, how, how is anyone starting out? You know, I know you don't go up there to make money, but it would be nice sometimes yeah. to get close to breaking even or just something. Or you know, you only make money if you're in the baby grand. You're getting five hundred in every day, um, and yeah. you and you do it for two weeks. I can understand that. And and the big hitters, Bill Bailey, would do a week and of course make his money. I know it's not yeah. about that, but I suppose after. In 2015, that was probably like our ninth show or something, and we were just a bit more jaded with it all, and like, oh, no, we can't do this. So let's do Camden Fringe. Yeah, I think you're right. While it's not about making money, I think anyone's going to struggle knowing I've got, you know, I've got my... my set, I've honed this, I've done pre-work, you know, I, I, it's really tight, I'm really happy with it, but in the, but you're still in the back of your head going, but I'm probably still going to be losing a lot of money doing yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite tough to contend with. I mean, it? accommodation is most of it. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, Lord, yes. that's most of it. And then a producer, then flyers, and then obviously the fee to book the, the actual place, the fringe booking fee. Then you've got to live there for a month. It, yep. just, it just becomes this mad thing. I remember my partner, um, before she sadly died, just going, don't go, because I'd quite like you to take that four grand, that instead of pumping it into Edinburgh, take me fucking to Fiji or something. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely bloody right. I mean, it's, it's just, it's madness, the amount of money. But there you are. 
Um, I think the free fringe now is 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 um, um, now a very legitimate thing to do. There's been I always call it the Perrier because I'm just too old fashioned to remember what it's now called. Uh, <laughs> but but um, th- there have been winners now um, of of you know best Edinburgh whatever um, that have come from the free fringe and that sort of thing. And I think a lot of people now go up and go, I'm not doing a month, I'm doing two weeks because yeah. I can't afford it. I think, you know. I, think it was, I think it was you that mentioned on another podcast, funny enough, talking about podcasts. I'm pretty sure it was you that mentioned it, so I'm not trying to steal this. No, you can steal it. I don't care. Um, it was, I think, was it Tim Vine is not appearing this year? Was oh, yeah. Tim? That was this poster that he put up when he didn't go yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. I, that's genius. It was the largest poster in town. It was amazing. Yeah. Tim Vine, yeah. he had his arms outstretched in a big gold lame suit, really happy. Tim Vine is not appearing at this year's Edinburgh Fringe. I just thought that's just, that's really clever. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Really clever. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Okay, right. let's move on. Um, oh, number five, easy. No. Um, <laughs> do you have a lucky totem that has to attend every show, event, or writing room with you? No. What do you believe would happen if you lost it? Nothing. I don't have one. Um, That's fair enough. Um, no. I, I kind of trying to think if it's anything. I'm, I'm more uh, more concerned. I think I'm just going to give you an answer that Jeremy probably gave you, which is I'm more concerned about where all the props are and where all the things are, yes. and that the queue is set up. Silly stuff like I know the queues are all set up, but have you put the volume on? Because <laughs> we've done gigs before. You're like waiting, waiting, and a lot of the stuff I used to do with Dan, Jeremy, um, uh, and myself were very queue based, um, and if they buggered up it ruined the show so mm. that would be my main concern is back then it would be is the mini disc working <laughs> oh now that's old school the there mini- you go is the mini disc working oh, is that right is my prop there do i have that match box in my back pocket for that bit later that would be all i'd be faffing around i mean i'd like yeah. to tell you that i had like a lucky kayak that i had to bring <laughs> with me all the time by uh gifted to me by summer hayek uh would be lovely but no Unfortunately, I don't have anything like that. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, there was um, someone was talking about they they'd done a gig and they there was no sound. They'd lost sound and it was all and they everything had been fine at the pre-check and and sound wasn't working and they were testing every lead and you know just everything they could think of. It's like how Christ what's happened and people are waiting and everyone's getting yeah. pissed off because they can't come in and blah blah. And it's like 15, 20 minutes of everyone running around going to go, what the, you know, why? And then he said, after about 15 minutes, he went, oh, yeah, I, I put the master slider down, didn't I? Um, when we did the pre, after we did the pre-test. I probably right. just didn't that back up again, don't I? It's like the, the most simplest, obvious yeah. thing yeah. in the world. And it was the one thing no one had thought to look yeah. at. Yeah. No oh. God. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the way I think I think what he's trying to say is he didn't mention it to anyone. He just very surreptitiously just pushed it up where no one was looking, went, Oh, we seem to have sand again. Great, wonderful, let's crack on. <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> I'm not telling people it was me that put the master switch. No, of course. Good hell no. You say nothing. Wow. Um, okay, so number six. If you could pretend a sketch radio TV show uh, or film was, or if I could pretend that a sketch radio TV show or film uh, was written by me, uh, which one would I blatantly steal? Well, probably, uh, if I'm being 100% honest, I'd go straight back to Fry and Laurie again. But also, and yes. I hate to be an echo chamber, but um, I think the best sitcom that's ever been written is Seinfeld. I know this yeah. has been said before, mm-hmm. um, but it is something that just renders me utterly speechless i've probably rewatched it eight times yeah um yeah. I, the writing is just beyond 
impeccable and clever. I love how they can take three independent stories and cross them so that they sort of cross-pollinate each other. I love the sheer madness of it all. Um, The characters are so well-defined. I like the fact that in life we all end up becoming George Costanza, which I think is genuinely true. We will all become George. Uh, Just irritated at the world and everything. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a fair observation. We're all George. Yeah, we're all George. It, we all um, think at one point we're, 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 we're Kramer because we're goofy and wacky or we're the funny one in the group. We all might yeah. think we're Seinfeld at one point. We might think we're Elaine, but we all become George. We all eventually become George. We it's do. Time, yeah. It's the writing. It's genius. And I love, if you watch the documentaries, I love the, what well, I I like it when Jason Alexander early on goes, we can't do this as a concept for a, for an episode because it's just stupid. Nobody would break into a woman's house to steal the answer phone machine that they'd left. And, of course, yeah. Larry David goes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and you go, right, okay. Then he was like, absolutely fine, then I'll, I'll do whatever you say. Yeah. I, it's one of those um, coming togethers, isn't it, of writers and actors and crew and cast. Yeah, it's and the whole thing. Everything just came together, like the stars aligning or whatever. And- I know. And I know that a lot of people say that the last sort of three seasons when um, Larry had stopped writing, it dips. Mm-hmm. It does dip a little, but there's still so much mm-hmm. absolute joy in it. Um, and it's just something that never fails. It never fails to make me laugh, even a dud episode. And it's one of those things that's my go-to, like, oh, I've got 50 minutes. Brilliant. I can watch two Seinfelds. Yes. And I'll just stick them on. And I'm always howling with laughter. It just gets yeah. me every time. It's just the most beautifully well-made thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. Very close to that is actually the Larry Sanders show. That would be a really close second. Yes. Which was also yeah. just, again, a piece of absolute brilliance. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I've got a particular soft spot for the Larry Sanders Love show. it. So I if guess. it was... So to answer the question, if I could pretend I wrote... I'd probably pretend I wrote Frying Laurie. But in America, I'd pretend I wrote Seinfeld and Larry yeah. Sanders show. Good choices. I think that's superb choices. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, na- number seven. Uh, name one time you were proud of your work and why. Gosh, um, I'm I'm very proud of a sketch that Jeremy and I used to perform called the Two Nevels. I'm proud because how we ever did it, I don't know. Because this is all kudos to Jeremy mainly. Uh, it's because um, the sketch was a palindromic sketch, right? So we would come on as the two Nevilles. We'd be introduced by Dan. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the two Nevilles. And we come on. And the material is a bit like, to me, to you, it's a bit chuckle, chuckle vision. And it's supposed to be. It is supposed to be absolutely appalling. The gags are supposed to be cheesy. It's dreadful. So at the end, Dan goes, ladies and gentlemen, the two Nevilles, like rolling his eyes, like that's the worst thing you've ever seen, isn't it? But it's three minutes it's three minutes. And sometimes an audience are not happy to go for that three minutes because they're going, this is shit. And we want them to feel like that, but it's a very delicate edge tightrope to walk on because right at yeah. the end, Dan goes, thank you very much. And sort of goes, how long have you been doing that act? And we go, oh, about 40 years. And he's like, yeah, yeah, bloody shows, you know. And, and then one of us goes, you know, we've done, it, we've done it so often, we could often do it backwards. So then Dan goes, well, go on then, do it backwards. We're like, well, no, no, that wouldn't work. And he's sort of like, he used to like pull a gun and go, do it backwards. <laughs> so we do, and we do the exact same lines backwards, every single wow. line. And then suddenly it looks like we've sort of killed the queen. We might be into incest or sleeping with our mothers or something. And it's all just the lines. 
And I'm proud of it because I used to, my palms used to sweat. It was the only bit of the show where I was petrified because there were times when Jeremy and I would do it and one of us would cock up a line, normally me, and that was fine. You just had to remember to cock up that same line when you went back. On the way back. And if you could remember, you could get away with it. Yeah. But quite often you didn't. And I used to be sometimes like, I can't even sometimes remember how I how we did this two Neville sketch because in my head, I'm just going, remember the line, remember the line, remember the line, remember the line. <laughs> it was just a nightmare. Yeah, but when it worked, it was an absolute joy because we would take the audience to the point where some of them were considering booing or wanted to leave <laughs> and hated it. And then when they get the reveal, they get the reward and then they pat themselves on the back for being clever. Yes. And then they go, this is, and then a lot of people go, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Because we've great. taken them on a little journey. And I kind of love that. But sometimes crowds won't, you know, go with you. Yeah. And I think yeah, Jeremy I, yeah. talked about that during a late and live when we tried to do something and were dying a death. That was definitely the two Nevilles. Yeah. Because yeah. it was a late night crowd. They were hammered and they weren't willing to listen. Because if you listen to the shit act all the way through and they listen to it all the way back, same, same lines, it was brilliant. But yeah. they just weren't having it. And that's yeah. not their fault. Because they just they were a late night crowd and they just wanted something a bit more easy. <laughs> gentler comedy things they don't have to think about. Well, I don't think they wanted gentle. I think they wanted people to just drop their trousers. I think that's what they wanted. Oh, I see that. that um, yeah, it's like one, two in the morning. You know, everyone's had a skinful. Anyway, I was proud of that because when it worked, it was beautiful. And, and more recently, I suppose I think you're only as good as the last thing you've done, really. Um, so the last thing I did, which I've, I've just released as, a, as, a, as like a podcast series, is called The Wild Orb. And I'm immensely proud of that because I wrote it all. I did it all. Um, lovely Jeremy um, recorded it and, you know, did all the editing for me. But I was very proud because I wrote three half-hour, you know, scripted episodes, taking the mick out of David Attenborough, because I don't think anyone has yet. And it's not actually <laughs> taking the mick out of David Attenborough at all. It's just taking the mick out of the, the sort of big BBC uh, nature, nat- natural history docs. And it's just something I've recently done. Um, I am, of course, gently plugging it, but I'm also basically very happy with it because I, I yes, thought it was right. really... I love the process of writing it. I think it's very funny. Uh, so, yeah, I'm proud of that. Oh, well, I'll get that in my pod feed and we'll add that to the show notes. So Thanks, matey. That's lovely. Right, number nine. Name one item of memorabilia no, you've... Number eight. Stop skipping number... Oh, stop. sorry. Number eight. Oh, gosh, yeah, maybe I... That's like... Oh, God, that's very Unless telling. Unless you want to skip it in your fridge. No, 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 no. That's very telling, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is in the Name way. one time you could have curled up into a ball and let the universe swallow you whole. Wow. Yeah. Well. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. There, I remember once we were being interviewed on BBC Radio Guernsey by a man who obviously his job was to go, oh, God, there's some people coming over doing something in our art centre and I have to talk to them. He clearly didn't know who we were, didn't care who we were, couldn't remember that we were called The Trap, so kept on calling us The Trapped. And and then we we just found that so embarrassing. Then actually it became very amusing. Then Then it made me angry. And then the whole thing was just this weird sort of like blur because it was all done jolly hockey sticks, BBC radio. And it, every question was things like, so where do you get your ideas from? And it was just like, oh, I don't know, sifting through my own turds in the toilet. What, what do you want me to say? Don't ask that question. Where do you get your ideas from? No. And he'd say things like, here's something that's funny. And he'd be like, that, that's not funny. Uh, no. It's just all that. And that was, that was always like, oh, 
oh, just let it end. Just yeah, please let it end. Yeah. Um, the only yeah. thing I can think of that I did that I really hated, but it, it was a bittersweet thing, is that I used to. The only reason why this is good is because every two months I used to be on the stage at the Palladium. Hmm. And just the fact that I was on that stage was something quite amazing because that's yeah. where literally all my sort of comedy heroes in the 60s, 70s and 80s have tread. Yes. You know, even if you go right back to like, you know, they say Brucey's, Brucey's body is under the Palladium, you know, <laughs> uh, that idea of being on there. But the nature of it was, and again, I won't name, name stuff too particular. I used to, um, I took over from a guy who ended up being Sonia's brother at EastEnders and he became too big to do it which was a showcase for these awful fucking like drama group schools, normally dancers from all around the UK that once every two months would do a, like a showcase production. Mm-hmm. So it would be 30 girls from the, from the Mrs. Elspeth schools for performing girls in Norwich. And they would be doing their version of, I know him so well by Elaine page. Yeah. And it was all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And I used to, in, I used to host them. So I would come on in a suit, do some gags that never landed ever because none of them gave a shit about that. They just wanted to see their little daughter doing their doing doing a soft 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 shoe shuffle or tap dancing, <laughs> or they wanted to see their little kid who's seventeen do a Barbara Dixon slightly you know out of context. Um, and, it, and I so it was I loved being on it, going. I'm God, I'm on the Palladium. This is mental. But I hated every time I did the show. But it was a paid gig, so I was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, but literally, it. when it ended, I would run away. <laughs> I, I can see how that's bittersweet, yes. It was bittersweet. And also, it, it's that end of the sort of showbiz thing that really I don't have any interest in at all. <laughs> that sort of actressy, musically, that lot, I'm afraid they're not my, they're not my bag. They're um, not your media. No, fair enough. No. So, um, you know, and I, I often had to interview, like, obviously there'd be a troop of... Well, that was the soft shoe tappers there from from Exeter, and I'd go up to the tiniest one and go, "Did you like performing on the stage?" And not nine times out of ten, they'd just be picking their nose, going, "Nah," and you'd be like, and I just used to think like, "Oh God, I'm like, this is like a low rent Aldi Michael Barrymore shtick I'm doing now, just like interviewing little kids and hoping." But quite often you get the opposite. You get the little precocious little shit. You'd be like, "My name is Jennifer, and I'm going to be a star." And you'd be like, "No, you're not." No. Um, no. But you couldn't do any of that. And, of course, all the material I'm doing has to be beyond family-friendly, and it was just... Oh. But, you know, I think it was 300 quid a pop, so I was like, fuck me, I'm doing it. <laughs> I do. I, I often do, because obviously, you know, it's not my world, I do wonder about how difficult it must be is if, if you're just being yourself on stage, so you can just say whatever and swear and it's all fine because we're all adults, and then you get a gig where you've been told in no uncertain terms that you've got to be 100% clean in everything... Yeah, that's that switch of oh god, I, I've got to not be me at all. Well, this um, is the thing for certain. I mean, because I'm predominantly a sketch comedian. Yeah. So it's so different than stand up. Um, yeah. And also, I do do lots of solo stuff, but I always do character stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'll do Alan Bennett doing fictitious diaries, or I do a guy who is like the eighth most popular online writer of Cornish erotic fiction. Um, and I play these characters who also, by the way, predominantly read because it saves me learning lines. <laughs> um, but um, it's such a different beast than, than a stand-up. I remember the first ever time I did, because also I don't know what my stand-up voice is at all because I don't have one. 
I don't know what what me doing stand-up is. Um, uh, lots of comedians I know who are brilliant at it, but they would probably say that they don't really know how sketch works. <laughs> so it's like, enough, yeah. you know, it's just a different thing. Or to be good at impressions or characters, they'd be like, no, that's not me at all, you know. Yeah. Um, but the first ever stand-up gig I ever did, I think I was 18, and it was I remember it. The reason why I want to curl up in a ball is now the thought of it. Um, I had to do 10 minutes and I was opening for two acts. I can't remember who the first act was, but I remember the second act was the up and coming and doing very well Joe Brand. Wow. Yeah. And I came on and did 10 minutes and I was so frightened and scared and I didn't know what comedy was and I didn't know what my voice is. This is why I want to curl up into a ball. I used to pretend to be Irish when I did it. Oh, no. Because I thought that would make it somehow funnier or it would work. So I used to come on and talk in this sort of weird sort of Southern Irish accent because I thought... That would do it. That, that, the thought of it makes my bollocks hit my chin now. (laughs) But I thought that was what what you did. I didn't know either. That's the thing, I just didn't know. I was at drama school and I just popped up to Exeter University and just did it. Oh, God. but yeah, but the fact you learn is the is the important bit, isn't it? That that to me is everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has bad steps, missteps. No, you. of course. But yeah, as long as you learn from it and go, let's never do that again. That I think yeah. gives people the credit that they realise. I mean, there's there's a couple. I'm obviously no names, but there's there's a couple of people in comedy who for a very long time had a thing, um, such as uh, I don't know, let's pick something random like I'm gay, just for right. But then every stand-up they did was very much centred on saying to people, I'm gay. And it's like, but there's a point, surely, where now what you need to do is you need to... You can certainly reference it. You can make observations on it, but but also, but also widen your horizons. Yeah. So experiences and other things. You, you can't just have that as your... I know. I thought it was strange when Jim Jeffrey started doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, of course, yeah. And so um, I, I'm always impressed when you see people when you because um, you see someone I don't know ten years ago at a fringe or a comedy stand up and then you see them you may not see them for a long time and then you see them go good god they really are superb now they they've really polished and learned and grown and you can see why you know well yeah there's this weird down. there's this weird thing that people don't think that if you're in the arts you actually do any work and it's so weird because <laughs> you sort of go it's it's like the polar opposite yes like, I have to sit with a blank screen not being paid by the way. <laughs> Yes. and just come up with stuff um yeah. i it's it's not easy <laughs> no but, i think you know. people, people underestimate how much hustling goes on and how much hard work goes on oh it's how. all it's all that and then and then there's the biggest component of it all which is luck it's always luck absolutely on yeah. the right time the right place it's always that um i, I think it always will be because there are people i know and i probably consider myself and several of my friends in it who just deserve to be bigger than what they are um, but I totally agree. do you know what? It's fine. We we plug away and we do it now, not just for the love of it. It's because we're, in, I think, incapable of doing anything else. <laughs> we have no other life skills. It's just like a burning, like we're like dwarf stars that are just, you know, it's going to take a million years for us to burn out. And we'll keep fucking shining this fucking material at you, whether you like it or not. We just have no choice in it. No, I you think luck, luck is a, luck is a huge component. I mean, it, the, the I think so. Talent and skill, but there's also that you being in the right place at the right time, or your work being in the front of the right person at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and there are those that so deserve it. There are others that really don't, but 
you know, it's, <laughs> they, they've just got it, and they, there you go. I mean, that's, that's just what it is. The, the only other time I can think of um, uh, curling into a ball and... You don't have to do too many cuddies into a ball, you know. You don't feel that well, you have to stuff. I might just... That might be the epitaph on my uh, gravestone. Just, <laughs> he curled into a ball. I think... It's either that or serving suggestion. I don't know which two I'm going to go with. Um, but, um, no, I remember once... Uh, one of our... The thing... One of our things was... Um, we, we... When we were going up to Edinburgh... This is about... Not necessarily curling into a ball. What am I trying to say? When we went to Edinburgh, Dan, Jeremy and herself did our sketch shows called The Trap. And yeah. some of them were so technically complicated. Like we had a screen with film on that we would walk into and out of. So we pre-filmed yeah. stuff. And then we had to time it so well with, a, with three bits of linoleum that we put up together so you could project onto it, but with gaps yeah. in, so we could walk into the film and then walk out. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it, just to do this, and we were probably doing this with Windows, not even 95 at the time. I remember mm-hmm. Dan, who took his Apple computer up with him to Edinburgh, and it had to take 22 hours. We had to wait 22 hours to see if we would get all the cues done on the thing. It just, and once it didn't work, we had to do it again. And we were like, but we've got our tech rehearsal. Anyway, we used to spend so much time, like our palindrome sketches and all this, into yeah. stuff that, re- that relied on so many sound cues and... Um, physical cues and visual cues yeah sometimes our cue thing we always felt really sorry for whoever was doing our show because we're like you know they just had let's say tim key on before her in for an hour who just stands up with a mic <laughs> for an hour so they turn on the lights and they turn off the lights with us yeah. we're like you have 480 cues <laughs> <laughs> so we used to make sure we gave them lots of presents <laughs> at the end to say we're yeah. so sorry for what we put you yeah. through Thank you, um, but we really, we, we, it was blood, sweat and tears with some of these things to get it right. At the same time, it was the year after September the 11th, we were so incensed with the awful fucking theatre that was being showed at the Edinburgh Fringe, just piggybacking on this fucking horrible tragedy that people there was like, we're a group from Worcester and we're going to put on a play about 9-11. You have no business doing this. Don't do it. Every single thing that year and the year after was all about 9-11. And it just seems so crass and so sort of, don't do it. But it then... No, we no had a similar thing in, in script world, but um, as we were going into COVID, particularly as we were, well, not that we're really out of it, but you know what I mean, now we've kind of returned to a normality. There was a huge thing in the script community about, for Christ's sake, can everyone not write a COVID story? Sure, you know, of course. What, what yes, it must be just like that. Is 20,000 scripts trying yeah. to find an angle on a, uh, you know, a plague that's... Yes, of course, you know? yeah. Absolutely, but people were still doing it, and and I'm sure one's being made. But it's just like no, please, just yeah. <laughs> but I remember <laughs> see, seeing and hearing previews of the year that Susan Sarandon went up to the assembly rooms with her husband Tim Robbins, and they did a yeah. two-hander, and it was just really, it just seemed so crass and embarrassing to just piggyback on that tragedy. And I, I don't know, something about yes. it I did, didn't sit right. And there was so much awful theatre and awful comedy about it that it was just like, do you know what? Just leave that subject alone. We don't have to, we don't have to do it. Um, but anyway, because of that, yes, we, yeah. we wrote a show called Bad Play, which we wanted, as, a, as literally a sort of angry swipe back at this ridiculous thing, we wrote a show called Bad Play, which we did for one week in Edinburgh, and we wrote sort of most of it on the way up to Edinburgh on the train. That was the rule. Brilliant. So we wrote it on the way. We were going to Edinburgh anyway to do our show. 
the reason why I mentioned curling into a ball or that sort of sense of uh, is because it got to a point with bad play. The, f- the first one did so well, even though we did it for a week, that we ended yeah. up doing bad play two, bad play three, and bad play the musical. We sort of <laughs> almost got more well known and loved for the bad plays than we did for the show that we would pour every iota of our blood, sweat, and tears into. And that slightly makes me sort of go, oh. Because I just remember people going, that was amazing. It's like, shit, we wrote that in six hours. <laughs> and that was the thing that people loved. Also, it was brilliant to do. It was funny. It was amazing. And it was a proto... It wasn't the play that goes wrong, but we know that they came and saw us. That's a different story. But it isn't the play that goes wrong. Ours was three people trying to change the world through theatre, and it was supposed to be... We threw in every single like you know issue based thing we could we could throw into it yeah sure and it was yeah. just the worst thing ever and it was intentionally supposed to be the worst thing ever yeah. and and it just became this thing it became a real thing we had, i mean our september the 11th show started with two jenga towers lit on stage with two little lights it looked fantastic and we would play adagio for strings and throw paper airplanes at them mm. so you can imagine the walkouts <laughs> but there was one person we met up in edinburgh who was a september the 11th survivor Oh. And I thought, this is it. This is the one. This is the one where we get knifed or, you know, yeah, yeah. this is it. And she just went, thank you. I can, I'm allowed to laugh. Because she's oh. so, and we were like, fucking hell. Because uh, she was like, I'm just so fed up. People just tiptoe around this. You know, and again, yes. I really do think humour should be able to tackle everything. Um, yeah, but it should be able to do it well. That's the yeah, thing. Yes, yes, with a, a level of sensitivity, isn't it? But yes, you should be able to talk. Yeah, about we it. only got away with what we did because we were pretending to be th- three white middle class people who knew nothing about life, trying to do what a lot of crap theatre is, which is raise yeah. issues and awareness. So it was set yeah. on September the eleventh, but also it was during a time when a man was um, raping a woman because he thought she was a piece of meat. So one of our one of my colleagues had to stand up and rape a pepperami every night on stage because to literally be a piece of meat. And it was yeah. just the worst thing in the world. And then it, we, it was all about racism and it was all about everything. We just chucked everything at it, taking the piss. Yeah. But it became like a really loved thing. And we used to get loads of comedians who would love to come and join in with it. So we used to say, don't tell us, but just invade our stage. Yeah. So then suddenly people were like going, I'm at, I remember one comedian, I probably won't say his name, who just said he had more fun coming on for five minutes during our show than he did doing, doing his own Edinburgh run. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and word would go around. So suddenly I I can name about 20 very well-known comedians who would just go, tomorrow, can I come in and and like spoil your show? And we'd be like, yeah. Oh, how wonderful. (laughs) And we loved it. We absolutely loved it. Um, And the the thing that I love the most is because it it was, it, it reminds me of someone else said, it made me want to curl up and die, but it was completely intentional. It's every time we did these shows and we did four, because in Edinburgh you have a tight hour, Yes. Uh, you've got a, your show should really be 55 minutes mm. and then you're clearing out and the next group are coming in. We always mm. used to tell whatever act was on after us, please come on stage 10 minutes early and start setting up. Yeah. Because we just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. It's a great idea. So we're trying to finish our show and then people are coming on and setting up. It worked the best, I think, in Bad Play 3, no, 2, oh, I can't remember, where the show after us was The Gruffalo. <laughs> and the actual Gruffalo, and this is the licensed show, it wasn't like a, yeah. you know, the Gruffalo will just walk on. Super, and we're yeah. trying to end our show singing about racism and uh, a Disney song called Colours of the Mountain. Um, <laughs> and the Gruffalo then just comes on. And we end up like, so, like so, and of course they, we said, please do this. Yes, and yes. then we all end up just having a fight. It's just the funniest thing in the world. We're singing about racial harmony and tolerance and then we're fighting the Gruffalo. 
<laughs> it was just the funniest thing. And people, you just, you, I remember someone just going, God, but it's so like, when she saw it for the first time, she genuinely thought it was a mistake. Yes. She was like, I was going to curl up and die. I felt so, I was like, no, 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 that was every time. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that that was just brilliant. I loved that. I loved that, that so much. That is a stroke of genius. I love that. Bleeding yeah. Someone else's reality. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And we genuinely, and of course, everyone we asked, the show on afterwards, come on and be in, in another show. Of course, they're like, of course, we would love to. And of course, they got to mess around as well. And then go and do a very serious drama, or, or in this case, a gruffalo do a kid's show. But they yes. got to be involved in a very mad little comedy show. Um, and I think oh, they I loved it as well. I was going to say, I, I, if I was, yeah, say, doing my show, not that I've ever done one, but if I was doing a show and someone said, do you want to just do something mad for five minutes? I absolutely... Yeah, but the pressure of valve release, if nothing else, you know, just to do something crazy. That and again, it, I think it all loops back weirdly to the reward thing that I really like is that the audience get rewarded with something that you probably won't see in any other show. Is they get to see yes. this bleed of another show into the other. Um, yeah. We did it to a much smaller effect at the um, I, me, Dan, Jeremy, Michael, Leg, Margaret, Kevin, Smith, Zoe Gardner did this brilliant pretend like telethon, a bit like Children in Need. Oh yeah! And we did it for three nights. Um, in where were we? In the centre of town, Dean Street, um, at, the, at Soho Theatre. Yeah. And um, because we were doing a mock like telethon charity thing, the gag was we would always go later on Jimmy Carr. And, of course, carry on doing whatever. But Jimmy found out about it via Michael, because obviously he's the stand-up. And then Jimmy said, do you want me to come on on the last night? And we went, that would be the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> so, literally, we only did it for, like, I think we did four nights, the run. But, of course, later we would always say, later on, Jimmy Carr, as if we're handing over to the next bit in the studio. And then on the last night, he just comes in right at the end as we're taking the bow, just to wave. And the audience must have been like... Did they get Jimmy Carr in every night to do that? <laughs> no, just that one night. But it was, again, like that lovely little... Yes, yes, we did. Yes, ...thing, did. just the little cherry on the top, which is lovely. When we did our first ever... Sorry, Andy, I realise I don't stop talking. Um, first time we ever did our first bad play, when we did just a five-day-a-week run, the one we wrote on the train, um, yeah. it happened to coincide when we did our first show with the press release for the venue itself, Sea Venues, because we yeah. had to do it in C venues because it was the place to do it. Um, and so what happened was, is when we, when we found out that we were doing our show from 10 to 11 and then the press thing was going to start at 11, we said, can you get the press in a bit earlier and all those people? And you could tell every single other person that's turned up and there was going to be at least 200, 300 acts to wow. all come on the stage at the end. So when we took our bow, it looked like we had a cast of 400. <laughs> and I just remember, and that was one time only, it only happened once, but I just think there are members of the audience who are probably thinking, wow, that's yeah. their ending. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's incredibly clever. Jugglers came on and puppeteers and dancers, they all just filed on because they were about to have a big promo shot and then do little showcase numbers for the press for the oh, venue. Oh. It just worked out so beautifully, the timing. That is genius. That really and is. We just genius. thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, it really is. That's yeah. also very clever as well. Yeah. Anyway, gosh, sorry. I've gone no, no, off on no, about 98 no, tangents no, there. No, no, it's, no, it's please, carry on. Okay, so that was swallowing me whole. Nay, number nine, name one item of memorabilia you've acquired from the circuit that you would happily pull from the fire before anything else, including loved ones. Um, again, nothing really. Um, the things I would save um, more so uh, when... Actually, I still have the very first shirt, uh, a Hawaiian shirt that we did our very first show in in Edinburgh in 2000. Oh, 
there you go. But would I save it from a fire? Probably not. Probably um, not. I never wear it. I just always kept it. The thing that I always would keep is when we would write our... When you're doing a sketch show, or you're, you're always penning your running order with a bit of blue tack just yeah. in the back or in the green room or on the sides. Yeah. And quite often when we were, we would sometimes, Dan, Jeremy and I would just write, so it would be the two Nevilles and then, some, and then afterwards one of us would write the other fucking sketch. You know, it just wasn't even the name of what it was. Um, or sometimes when we were coming up with ideas, we would just randomly write stuff. Those bits and odd scraps of paper I've still kept because they always make me howl because sometimes I look at them and I don't know what they mean. Because <laughs> it'll just be like the, the, the man who sleeps with the desk. And I just go, I, we never did it. We never got around to it. I don't know what it is, but it's just did this mad list. Yeah. Those sort of things I've still got. Uh, somewhere, like just loose leaf random bits of paper with just random mad words written on it that some make sense, some became something else, some were never done. <laughs> Jesus, I, on I, a be- I, Jesus on a bendy cross. Like, what? <laughs> what? What were we thinking, yeah. You know, I, the Queen's I, dreams. The Queen's dreams. I, I, okay. I could, I could totally, um, I, I'm totally with you on that, just simply because that's how my brain works when I'm writing scripts. I know there are some people who love the, like the warehouse size whiteboard and yeah. they write things and then they start moving them around until they're happy. But I don't have the perhaps the discipline to write down properly sure. on the piece the, of paper. So the, if I did that, I would just end up with bits of paper, like you say, with random, you know, um, oh, the, I don't know, the, the, the cat's wearing the helmet. And then months yes. later, you're going, what the fuck? Exactly. Man? That's the joy. <laughs> yeah. It's like when I go through old notebooks of bits of bobs and I just, it's obviously some half baked idea. I don't quite know what it is. Yeah, and it just makes me howl with laughter because the words are just like it'll just be like pan 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 pan, and you're like, <laughs> obviously that made sense at the time for something. At the time, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Months later, yeah, no there you idea. go. So yeah. those sort of things always make me laugh. There, there are two moments of like memorabilia which I should have captured. In other words, and I think one I did, but with with, with a photo. Like there was a pictorial evidence that I either didn't take advantage of, which I don't know why, or I did, and since changing phones or whatever throughout the years, it's just gone into the ether. Oh, no. Which is such a shame. And they're both to do with being on tour. When Dan, Jeremy and I were on tour with our Trap and Our Bad Play shows, we toured around England, Scotland, um, Ireland and Wales. Um, When we were in Scotland, we were in this art centre that nobody came to. So this weirdly links back into curling into a ball because it was just outside Inverness or Fife or somewhere, in the middle of nowhere. Run by this absolute prick of an Englishman who just, I I really love the arts. I'm like, no, you don't. And he had this little weird independent thing that nobody came to. We did like two hour show to him and like five drunk men. It was just awful. It was so awful. And the accommodation when we were on tour would be hotels and this and that and that. But one of them was, uh, this one in particular, was his house, which was attached to the theatre and the restaurant and the pub. Okay. And there was nowhere, because there was no other dwelling. <laughs> there was nothing. Fair enough. And yeah. we had to sleep in, he said, his daughter's room, who aren't there now because him and his wife are going through a messy divorce. <laughs> We're like, okay, don't, don't even ask. Don't even ask. We don't need to know. But the yeah. thing I wished I took the picture of is in the cor- on, one, on one of the walls was the name of his daughter. I can't remember the name of his daughter now. Let's say it was Chloe. Yeah. And all it was is that traditional thing, which a lot of parents do, is a little scratch mark with a pencil or a pen on the side of the wall, and it just said Chloe, age five. And it's yeah. a height. Chloe, yeah. age seven. Yeah. Chloe, age another. And it goes all the way up to, like, 11 or 12. And then there's another bit of writing, clearly not the parent writing, Chloe, age la-la-la. So it goes Chloe, age five, Chloe, age seven, Chloe, age eight, nine, ten, eleven. And the last bit, 
just is in, in another pen, I hate you. <laughs> wow. Wow. Which, we can, which we can only assume is Chloe. I, I would guess that's Chloe, yes. And I wish I took a picture of it because it made us laugh so much. Oh, that's just... So much. That's incredible. So much. And on yeah. the same tour, we were in Glasgow and we were staying on the itinerary. It said we were staying in a weather lodge. And I got very excited because I thought we were going to be staying in some sort of eco-friendly yurt. Yes. Some little treehouse thing. No, a weather, a, a weather lodge is a hotel above a Weatherspoons. Oh, I did not know. Yeah. So there you go. So it's as grim as it sounds. You go down in the morning for breakfast and the carpets are sticky from the bit. It was awful. But the thing I wish I took a a photo of was two independent things. When I went into my room, there was a massive turd in the toilet. Oh, God. The toilet paper had been folded over and it just said, this room has been serviced by, let's say, Chloe again. (laughs) (laughs) Chloe, yeah. It's just the fact that this room has been serviced, but there was a big poo in the toilet. And even better was when Jeremy tried to get into his room, he opened the door and it came off. (laughs) (laughs) So I wish I took a picture, not of the poo in the toilet, but this has been serviced by Chloe, and I wish I'd taken a picture of Jeremy's door off. He doesn't know his own string. He's very strong, so all that years playing the piano. And then when we went to Ireland, what, again, I love about this is, is Michael Legg, the stand-up comedian, was, I'm really bored. Can I come with you on tour? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he said I want to go home anyway see people but can I just come with you for bits of the tour we'll just hang out we were like of course you can mate brilliant yeah. but he stayed in a he stayed in a and b in was it Enniskelin wherever it was in Northern Ireland yeah. um, and I, again I wish I took a picture there was a board written up for breakfast and Mike was a vegan so he would have touched it anyway but mm-hmm. there's a board up that just said fried egg poached egg scrambled egg coddled egg and it just had this huge list. And then at the end, in chalk, it also wrote, or your choice of egg. And <laughs> he, we were just trying for days to try. The only thing we could think of was raw egg. That was the only yeah. one that wasn't there. And I wish I took a picture of that board, because that's just so funny. Boiled, scrambled, fried, or your choice of egg. It sounds like they're challenging you to go, God, I dare you to come up with something we haven't thought of. Maybe. So when it comes to memorabilia, it's nothing from particular places. It's, no, it's not from particular venues or shows. It's where I was with the people I was and the things the mem- we saw. I wish I grabbed evidence of it. Yeah, the memory of something. I, the, the I hate you one, I just... I, absolutely, I hate you. I adore that. Yeah, when we were in Manchester, we got... Quite often, often when we went, we got split because sometimes they couldn't accommodate us all. Sometimes yeah. we couldn't get hotels. In Manchester, Dan and I shared a room with this woman. Our show ran really late. We came back to her digs and she was so furious we were back so late. Yeah. Um, and, we, and she said, your room's out there. And we went, okay. And we saw a cat and she went, don't touch her, she's a slut. And we went, okay. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Wow! Don't touch her. She's a slut. That's um, that's not something owners normally give to their animals. But okay. Uh, oh, Jesus. Yeah. I think I, I share. Obviously, I've stayed in my um, fair share of depressing places. One of the just really from your experience, but there was one where I, uh, I was staying and I splashed out a little bit because it was this, apparently this place that was it was in the it was up in Scotland and it was sort of in the mountains and you had these views and yada yada yada, and apart what it turned out to be was the views were if you were outside the hotel so not in the hotel just like physically if you went outside yeah you'd see the views which you think would be true anywhere but the room hadn't been I don't think updated since. 1950s so everything was just so old and broke everything was broken every single right. thing 
was broken. The TV only played three channels. Right. Um, by having a very long list of channels, the the um, shower was held on with a series of quite well placed tie clips. Um, right. Other, other things and tie clips. Yeah. Well, honestly, it was just the bed was a fire. Yeah, and honestly, there were zip ties holding other things on, and it was just wow. Oh, why you not just fix these things and and actually. But that also sort of goes full circle and becomes actually the funniest thing you've ever yeah. been in. And I was I was annoyed you know? at the time, but but later yeah. on, I did look back at it again. Actually, that I'll never stay there again. But good lord, that was just such an endless list of why and how and why did you make this decision and those things are amazing aren't they? Yeah. the things that when you go through at the time is is literally grinding your teeth with exhaustion yeah. and whatever yeah. but then when you tell someone else they're just in fits of laughter yeah I th- because I th- it I th- is just the funniest thing in the world yeah i had um, um, i had a friend stay just very quickly i had a, a friend stay someone they thought was going to be quite nice and they said we we knew it was going to go wrong when the first thing that happened is we went to the little restaurant, opened up the little menu, leatherette or pleatherette or whatever menu, and as we opened up, there was one solitary bean that had been squished flat, right in the menu. It was still stuck to the menu, and it's like we knew it was going to go downhill from there, and, and it did, you know. <laughs> like just yeah. like opening the menu, there's just this solitary bean, yeah, 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 squished. I remember years ago, I probably told this on another podcast, but I'll do it really quickly. Um, we ordered a big microwave. That's all I'm going to say. A big microwave. Just fit a certain size of plate. Um, and it was Yodel. This Yodel man came with a huge box and yeah. he handed it to me and I could hear rattling inside. And I just went, I think it's probably broken. And he didn't, he just sort of went, I, went, I think it's probably broken. So I literally took off the first, you know, put a knife down the box, opened it and went, yeah, the microwave door's been shattered. Yeah. So I went, so obviously this is no good. And he just went, I just, I just the way he said it, he just went, I don't do returns. <laughs> and I went, well, what do you mean? He said, I don't do returns. I'm I said, well, what, what have I got yeah. to do? He said, print, print off label, take it to post office. I'm like, but it's, it's nine metric tons of, <laughs> don't, 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 don't do returns. Yeah. So I was so furious with him, but also loved him because yeah. of the way he was doing it. So I went, okay, so I've had to print up the fucking label. I think I had to buy a new cartridge just to print up the fucking label, something like that. <laughs> then lugged it to the post office, which took me and my partner to do. It was that heavy. Yeah. It was then sent away. Three weeks later, the same man comes back from Yodel, but this time, and I just went open the door. It's like a sitcom. I opened the door and just went, for the love of about to say fuck, because what he had in his hand was a very long, thin parcel. And it was a... <laughs> And I went, that can't be the microwave. Please don't be the door. That can't be the microwave. And it was it, it was a lamp. And I just oh, went, that's... Oh. And, of course, the first thing he says is, don't do returns. Don't do returns. So I was like, okay. So I had to then print off a label for that. Send that. <laughs> Third time we got it. Same guy. Just brilliant. Oh, just, I just love at that the time, you're pulling your hair out. You're like Basil Fawlty in your incandescent rage. It's that lacklustre kind of, I don't yeah. know. Just, um, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. There's a I postman. There's a postman, and he's not here anymore. I, I loved. I hated and loved him in equal measure. Um, I live in a flat that has been divided into two. Um, so I'm. Um, so I'm like, let's say, 24B, and my neighbour upstairs is 24C. And because yeah. it's the flats are over 120 years old, the access used to be through my flat going up the stairs into hers. That's all now been boxed off. You can't get up yeah. there. Uh, basically. The postman cannot be asked to post her mail by going around the other side of the flats to her access, which is off the fire escape. So I get all her mail. Oh, brilliant. Without a shadow of a doubt. And sometimes I'm just pig sick of giving her a mail all the bloody time. 
And one day I confronted the guy and said, look, I am 24 this, she's 24 this, you must go around and put the mail in her letterbox. And all this guy did in full poster uniform, he looked at me as I said this tirade at him and he just went, quack, quack, and then walked off. (laughs) And I loved him and hated him at the same time. There's no comeback to that, is there, really? It's just amazing, isn't it? Quack, quack. Yeah, I'd, you would just you, yeah, you would just be going... Yeah, yeah. There you go. And that issue has never stopped in the 15 years I've lived in this flat. I still deliver all of my uh, <laughs> neighbour's mail. <laughs> it's never going to stop. It's nev- No, it's never going to stop. No, it can't I mean, stop. I just, I'm conscious we're running. Uh, but anyway, um, just on the... What are we on, four hours? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, all right. Just, just on the insanity of things i remember about it must be about 15 20 years ago now i ordered a, a bike that came to save money it came uh build it yourself basically oh god um and it was fine no it was it's i mean it's a bike so obviously the frames the frame and you just bolt the various bits on it's not that difficult but it right. just saves money so got the bike nearly finished putting it together went to get the, one of the last pieces out piece wasn't in the box i was like um, oh crying out loud you know I've one of the it. wheels <laughs> Slightly less obvious than one of the wheels, but it was, it was, I think it was one of the brackets for the rear brake or something. It was just right. this. No, it was a bolt. That was it. It was a bolt for the rear brake. Literally a bolt, but it was quite, it was like a bike bolt. So it's not one of the things you would have lying around. Right. So I contacted him and said, look, this bolt's missing. Um, can you just send me another bolt? And the post went, no. We oh, can't. no, can't do that. And it's like, well, no, but I literally just did that bolt. Yeah, we can't do that. Now, this this particular bolt's only made on the Cayman Islands. Yeah, and, it's like, and this went back and forth. This is obviously the days really before the internet was anything. So this was very much kind of phoning and, and letter writing kind of letter. Yeah. And oh my eventually God. transpired that because of the way they was they were making it cheap was they they were it was all being built one part per set. So they didn't right. have spareses. So if something was missed or dropped or lost, they couldn't just provide another one because everything was being built to, they had one bit per box and that was it. So I said, the only thing we can do is, can you take the bike apart you've built and we'll send right. you another bike and then obviously you can build that one. With it. And at this point I was like, yeah, whatever. And I thought, well, no, all I'll do is I'll just take the bolt out of the bike they've sent me and then um, put that onto the bike and then just tell them to pick up the one they've sent me because surely that's the easiest solution. So happy days. Eventually, the second bike arrived, took the bolt I needed out, finally got my bike working, went, hey, and then I contacted and said, actually, I spoke to the guy who delivered it, this is why I was thinking about your story, and said, look, I literally need to take one bolt out, um, if you just give me, like, literally a minute, I'll get yeah. that bolt, oh, no, I don't do, you know, I don't do pickups, I just do delivery, and it's like, but you can literally take it with you now, no. and just get a bolt, and he went, yeah, but you'll have no, to No, just... it's because he's got some weird little barcode he has to scan that goes to head yeah. office that doesn't yeah. compute, so he cannot yeah. physically do it, and that's the uh, life we now live. So he drove off, as, as you know, quickly, before I managed to try slide it back on the lorry, and I contacted and said, come and pick up, obviously come pick it up. Yeah, well, I don't know, the drive will be round. That went on for about three months, and then no one turned up, and then eventually I just thought, I give up, and then I just end up with this second bike, albeit missing a bolt, which I gave right. to someone else. Um, which is a complete death trap and has killed nine. <laughs> but you know, but it's just like if that's your if that's your business model, that yeah, then people can just keep phoning up saying I'm missing yeah, yeah. spoke, and then you, is, they send you another bike. We actively live in this world now. If you're on a website and you want to leave it, it's very very hard. They do their utmost to make sure you can never leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like wow. Okay, it's yeah. we have we have become Brazil, just drowning. We're no longer drowning in paperwork, but we are drowning in in uh, email work. We're just drowning yeah. in in that. 
Because to get yeah. into things and out of things now, you know, no wonder people at my dad's age just go, I'm not participating in any of it. You know? Yes. You order yeah. one thing and then it suddenly leads you into a world where they offer you... I love it when you buy something or you're looking for something to buy. Like I uh, bought a coffee table not so recently. Now, every search engine knows I've looked for a coffee table. Every, it doesn't <laughs> matter how much my privacy settings and this and that. I get coffee table ads now all the time. Why yeah. did you get a featured ad given to you for the thing you've already purchased? Yes. Yeah. It I, should be the polar opposite of the coffee table. It should be a tea man... <laughs> that's not the opposite of a coffee table but whatever it is it should be the opposite of what you've already purchased yeah. we noticed you bought the one thing that you need and don't need more of would you like to buy another <laughs> not really no I really don't want oh, you just... want to fill your flat with hundreds of tea yeah I'm just going to keep buying um, coffee tables it's just I, uh... my favourite is the um, similar items you might be interested in that are basically uh, are not similar and they're, yeah. they're just randomly adding yeah. a list of stuff and the hope that you might go yeah. I want one of those, but you look at it going, how, how is any of this similar to what We I see that you bought a feather duster. We think you might be interested in this motorcycle and sidecar. Yeah, it's literally like that. Because, you know, you might want to clean it. Oh, I see what you've done there. Clever. <laughs> you've really got, really got out there, haven't you, with yeah. your similar choices thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we've gone off on millions of tangents. <clears throat> we should get back. Okay. Um, number 10. What's the one thing you would not tell up-and-coming funny people so that they can suffer like you did? Oh, Andy, that's a cruel question. It's um, it be cruel. No, I don't... Well, no, the, only God, th the only thing I would maybe... <laughs> not tell which actually weirdly i would tell is if you're in edinburgh pick your right show time right that's yeah. that's all it is pick your right show time if you're doing a show that's like like a lot of ours were heavily word-based concentration-based don't do it after a, a 10 o'clock <laughs> because everyone's hammered and they're not going to concentrate i just it's something as simple as that i could that's the only one i can really think of just pick your right time you know? that, that, that is good advice you wouldn't give to someone. That's Yeah, yeah that's one thing I wouldn't give to someone. No, but I would, because you don't... It's, do you know what? Despite maybe the rep that a lot of comedy, com comedians, actors, whatever, we're actually a pretty good bunch, I think, really. We're, yeah. we're a little club that really do band and help each other. Um, yes. that, I, I, we I really do. I genuinely think that. Um, yeah. I had that recently last year when my partner died. Um, just the mm. amount of people that were just so... you know, And you can always tell the ones that go, so sorry. <laughs> and you can always tell the ones that are here and want to help and the ones that want to help you and the ones that know to stay away yeah um and people that people who, who like went look you're on your druthers i'm going to give you a little bit of money so you can pay your rent this month because you know all that sort of stuff and there are people who help me that are just like you mm -hmm. know have their own shows on channel four and have done films people that i've only met once but they remember you and they're because you're a member yeah. of their gang so yeah. actually you know we could be a good lot um Weirdly, the thing that comedians will always do is always remind you of your shit gig, but that's just, that's a different thing, because that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that is funny, yes. Absolutely. But I can't think of anything that I sort of would genuinely not want to tell someone. I'd be more like, for God's sake, don't make the mistake we did. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I... Do it like that, I think, I think. There's an evil question, but I think, to be fair, most people give lots of positive advice, because as you say... Yeah. It's nice, it's a little Machiavellian question. It's nice to have one in there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, so number 11, outside of comedy, 
What else do you enjoy doing and what would be your ideal career? Well, I suppose, and I think this answer has already been given as well, but the thing that I probably do more now is stuff like this is podcasting. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I guessed on lots and lots of podcasts and I absolutely adore it. I love, I genuinely think, you know, five years ago, people were saying podcasting is, you know, flash in the pan. I think that's what yeah. people regarded television like years ago. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. It is a legitimately brilliant thing. Look how it can get monetized now. I mean, look how big it can get. Um mm-hmm. There is, again, like anything, lots of wheat and lots of chaff. But there yes. are some superb, brilliant stuff out there. I also think that when you guest on a podcast, no matter how big or small, you do your homework. Mm-hmm. I hate, I, you can always tell when someone's going on something as a guest and they either don't know what it is because they've not bothered. I think that's mm-hmm. wrong. I think you should yeah. listen to at least an episode, know what it is, um, because I think you need to do your work. Because like anything else, why, why would people listen? Because it's not yeah. like television paying a license and it's not like Lala. Quite often all these things are for free. Well, if it's free, it better be bloody good. So I'm not going to yeah. listen to it. You know, the only reason I started doing a Doctor Who podcast is because I was fed up with listening to Doctor Who podcasts. Because <laughs> what they would do, which is awful, is they would talk about the fucking show endlessly. Yeah. Well, I don't want to hear that. It's boring as anything. <laughs> so boring. So, you know, and I don't mean yeah. that, but I sort of do mean it uh, in a weird way. Um, I I so the stuff I guessed on is things I want to guest on, and I'm happy to guest on, but then I want to know what it is, how it works. I'll listen to them, and I think then you bring, you bring your best to the table and you make a good show, because it's a show. No matter what yeah, format the- it's in, five minutes, five hours, doesn't matter. And when it's yeah. huge, the ones that do work, that deserve it, uh, there mm-hmm. are loads, I think, that don't, but there you go. Um, <laughs> you know things like um, off menu I think is absolutely brilliant and now it's become its own behemoth beast yeah again it's guest dependent but I think it's a well made and I love listening to it um, in the same way I love tuning into certain TV shows um, mm. because it's well made it's well done yeah, um, yeah there's a lot, a lot of podcasts that aren't well, well made and aren't well done and then yeah. you just listen to 10 minutes and go well that's that done you don't have to do it again so yeah. I'd probably do lots of podcasting if I couldn't do that I'd probably do what my father, again, father's joke, uh, the ultimate job in life is to be a Halley's Comet watcher. So every 75 years, you point in the sky and you go, there. And that's, <laughs> and that's your job done. That would be, and that should be heavily paid, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, no, you get paid a lot as well. That's the thing you have to, but I suppose ideally, what would I really like? I quite like it. I really wouldn't mind being like an idler, a loafer. I'm really good at filling pointless time. I know a lot of people can't stand it, but when you're self-employed, you get really used to it. Um, yeah. When people go, I don't know how you can spend three days in your flat without going outside. I'm like, are you kidding me? There's like <laughs> nine, 98 different things I can watch, listen to, read. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, there's yeah. so much. Um, I'm really happy with that. <laughs> so I could quite easily be like a man of leisure. Oh, I like that. I th- I, I'm with you. I don't. I've, I'm quite a, quite happy to sort of stay indoors and get things done. I don't feel this need to rush outside and check it still there no. five minutes. I mean, I remember sometimes I go, oh, I mean, it's such a stupid thing. Like, I'll have a casting and then it's, oh, God, I've got to do all that. It's like, come on, mate. It's 20 minutes of your life. It's not like you're going down the fucking mines. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, oh, God, I've got to set the camera and the sheet and the light and I've got to learn the lines and I've got to do this thing for 20 minutes. Oh, God, this never-ending toil. just mentioning this not uh, not to promo myself but there was a an animated short i had made last year because i wanted to try animation and right brilliant animator who who agreed to not charge me the earth to do it which was lovely um and it's now got in it got 
put it into festivals and quite a few of the festivals are like no thank you very much because it's kind of social commentary stuff so they're probably going i don't think this is um you know we just want stuff that's kind of fits in a nice pocket of horror right whatever um but now a couple have taken them up and i was being a bit down on it sort of going oh well you know but it's placed here and here and point was being made to be game but it has yes yeah i mean you know, the- just get over yourself quite yeah. right get over yourself it, it has been selected here and here stop Yes, I know. It's, person, it's you know. strange how you can willingly try and sort of like wrong foot yourself. Or, um, yeah. A really good example of that is when Larry David, they told Larry and Jerry, yes, you've got a series. And then Larry was immediately depressed because it meant he had to write a series. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think- oh, God, I have to now write the thing that I adore and love. Oh, there God, a- I don't want to do that. Yeah, no, I don't actually <laughs> want to do it. There, there, there was a brilliant, um, I can't think which, uh, it's a well-known scriptwriter, I just cannot remember the name of which one it was now, but they put out a brilliant, just as the WA strike, well, may or may not now be over, um, assuming everyone signs up to everything they've agreed to, but they put the point out saying, so I've now gone from the point where I can't work, where there's a chance that I just, I'm not working. And mm. now I've got that reality again of it may yeah, be yeah, yeah. I haven't got a job, not I can't have a job. And it's like, yeah, you, you're just constantly going to be booting yourself, aren't you? So Yeah, that, that's. I mean, that's just the joy of the self-employed, like me, actor, yeah. writer, performer. It's just, it, sometimes you're in work and it's great, fits and starts, and then there's endless time when you're not. Then, yeah. then you get worried about money, so then you go, well, I'm going to have to get a job job. But then you yeah. get a job job and you say to your employer, uh, my agent's just rang and I need to go into Soho for an hour. And they go, no. And you go, oh yeah, of course it doesn't work like that, does it? So then you <laughs> can't do, so you can't do that job because you'll get fired immediately, and they just go, no, you can't just swan <laughs> off and do. It. So then you just go, shit, now money's really. So it's just like, oh god, this endless whatever. But most self-employed people like me have been doing it for twenty-five years. You're just used to that lifestyle, and yeah. you're used to having some money and then none money, and yeah. you just get on with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just yeah. yes, as you say, pinks and troughs. Yeah, yes, of course. Okay, so. Number right, 12, last, question, last question. What is the one question you want to be asked that no one ever thinks to ask you? Gosh, I can't really... I, I can think of the question that everyone asks me that I don't expect and always used to amuse me um, is, well, is one of the sketches that I wrote that sort of did really well about 10 years ago. It was almost like passed around secretly like Derek and Clive tapes was a sketch called Filthy Little Fuck Pigs, which is not, which is basically me trying to, I'm playing, I'm going to forget who I'm doing now. This is terrible. You should really think about it before the anecdote, Paul. Um, <laughs> there's the song Kinky Boots. Yeah. I'm playing Patrick McNee, who's been called into the studio because he, there's been a little fluff on the line of sexy little schoolgirls and he just needs to repeat that line. Yeah. But what he keeps saying is Filthy Little Fuck Pigs. <clears throat> and the people in the booth can't really believe that he's saying it. Patrick doesn't know that he's saying it and thinks he's saying it fine. It's like a four-minute yeah. sketch. It became like well, it became like a thing that comedians would... What I used to love was I'd go around and sometimes a comedian would come up to me and just say, this is where it links into the one question. Someone would just go to me, are you filthy little fuck pigs? That's what <laughs> used to make me laugh. Superb. Because they, they wouldn't say, are you the guy who wrote the sketch who plays it? They, just, they would always go, are you filthy little fuck pigs? They go, yeah, yeah. And they go, oh, that was, you know. And I've had that with some, like, you know, quite well-known comedians. It's just really funny. When they say, are, oh, you the one, are you that one who did that filthy fucking thing? 
Yes, that's me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's really funny, and I really like that. But the question to be asked that no one ever thinks to ask you, I suppose nobody ever really asked me to do, to do my lion impression, which I'm really good at. So, yeah, here we go. This is, uh, I wish people would ask me to do this more often, because I came across how I could do this accidentally. And oh, I don't think anyone can do a better impression of a lion than me. Are you ready? I'm, I'm I hope ready. this gets picked up on the mic. Here, here we, we go. go. The impression of the king of the beasts, the lion. It's not bad. That's superb. Yeah, it involves a pint glass. That's why I had to go to the kitchen. Wow, that's incredible. You make a pig noise, and then you you cup over as much sound going in and out of the receptacle, in this case a pint glass, and let air in and out, and then move your pig noise into a lion. That's explained that, isn't it? Yeah, I think... I can't yeah. believe you haven't done a YouTube video. Yeah, they, yes, yeah, yeah, like a how-to. Yeah, oh, explain that, that Heinz Wolf. <laughs> I'm gonna, well, after this record, I'm going to go and find a pint glass and practice. So please do, please do. That's superb. What a brilliant! I just love the fact you said that's an in, an accidental discovery, and I just like to know when you were doing a pig noise and then you looked at a pint glass. And went, right, here's the thing: I was finishing off a drink while someone told me something funny. Oh, uh, the yeah. glass was empty. I snorted into the glass like this. And then as I did that, I then sort of, I don't know, went and then realised sounded just like a lion. That is superb. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's made my day, though. That's, there you go. It's a brilliant sound. It's very good if I'm with kids. They fucking go mental for that. <laughs> that's yeah. it. That's my, that's my one thing for kids. Yeah. There we go. Then I show them the real lion and then... And there's the running and the screaming. But Release yeah. the lions. Yeah. yeah, and here's the real thing. We don't need, need any more kids on the planet, thank you. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, obviously, a, a big thank you to Paul for that interview. Um, if you'd like to know more, there'll be links in the show notes. This has been an original podcast production for Lightbody Productions, copyright 2023. There. Sorry, mate. I went on a bit.